Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. How many of you drove into Nashville and came back today? Anybody in here drove? Bless your heart. Let me tell you something. I, I want you to know how much I appreciate you. And I say this with all sincerity. Uh, it's a wonder you don't come in here with a spirit of murder on you. <laughs> Dealing with that traffic and and crazy people, and you come, thank you. I just want to, in sincerity, I want to thank you for coming. Uh, uh, I've, I've had to do that a couple of times in the last couple of weeks for appointments and things like that. And I just, time I get back in the afternoon, I'm just mad. I'm just angry. And uh, so thank you for your faithfulness to be here. God bless you so very much. Wednesday night is such an important night because that's the time we do discipleship with our children. You know, we're raising a generation of Christians who are just entertainment-driven. It's what we're raising. As long as there's a concert, as long as there's an event, as long as there's a party, as long as there's an activity, and as long as we can get a crowd, uh, they'll come. But just the teaching of the Word, Scripture memorization, the things that will stay with you through the thick, the, the bad times, the thin times, we don't do that anymore. We don't do that. If it's not a special event, a lot of Christians will not show up. And that's why Wednesday nights is so important, especially for our children. It's because we're putting in them the Word of God, the Word of God. So thank you. Thank you so very I, I, I recognize it's, we live hectic lives, so busy, and we're, this is such a growing area, and it's hard in the traffic. And I recognize the effort that you make to get here on Wednesday nights. And I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you have your Bibles, turn to the 14th chapter of John. John chapter 14. We're talking about the biblical names of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk to you about one tonight that I believe will help you. I want to talk to you about the spirit of burning. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the spirit of burning. Burning. You probably, some of you might not have never known that. But the Bible, one time in the Scripture, refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of burning. And there's a unique reason and a specific reason why the Holy Spirit is referred to that. But let's do just a little review, but we won't do much. John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate. One translation says, comforter who will never leave you. Aren't you glad he'll never leave us? And And who is this advocate? Who is this comforter? Verse 17, he identifies him. He is the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. That's important for you to understand. That's the reason people act the way they do and do the things they do. People, you say to people, people have done some things, and they, I see these crimes that are being committed and these crimes against children and, and things. And I'm saying, don't people have a fear of God? And in reality, they don't have a fear of God. We've got a, a nation now that no longer fears God. They don't know. That's what Jesus said. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. So it, does, it shouldn't shock us. It does, but it shouldn't shock us because they don't know who the Holy Spirit is. But then notice what Jesus said, but you know him. But you know him. And the question we have to ask ourselves is simply this. Do you know him? Do you know him? Jesus says that the Christians should know him. So the question I need to ask myself, do I know him? Did I recognize him today? Did I recognize him? He was with you today. He was speaking to you today. He was directing you today. Somewhere in your life, he intersected with you today. Somewhere in your life. It might not have been a big 
fiery bush. It might not have been a bright cloud, and it wasn't probably a voice from heaven. But somewhere along your path today, the Holy Spirit intersected with you. Now, did you recognize him? Did you say, man, thank you, Holy Spirit. That's you. Thank you. Because he intersected somewhere today. Jesus said, you will know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Last Wednesday evening, we began a lesson on the biblical names of the Holy Spirit. Unlike many of us in the Western world, given names in Bible days referred to desired character traits. All right. Today, we name a kid because it sounds good. Sounds good. Oh, that's a name. Peyton. Peyton. Why, do we, why is most kids in 1998, 1999, and 2000, the majority of young boys were named, and a few girls in Tennessee were called, named Peyton? Can anybody tell me the biblical reference to Peyton? He is the god of Rocky Top, of Nayland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. Peyton Manning, a football player. That's, I've had people tell me, uh, Peyton, oh yeah, I was born in 1999. Boy, well, of course, you was named after Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. Understand, they didn't do that in the Old Testament. Names given to people in the Old Testament were given for, to refer to a desired character trait. A historical moment even at times, or a prophetic expectation about a person. Okay? A desired character trait, a historical moment in the, in the events of the nation, or a desired or a prophetic expectation, something they're believing God's going to make this person to become in the future. It was always some type of spiritual undertone, not because it rhymed, not because it sounded good, not because it was your favorite sports team, all right? So names in the Old Testament carried a lot stronger purpose and meaning than names in the, in the today. Likewise, the Holy Spirit is the name. He's referred to as the Holy Spirit. And he has given many many names in the Bible. And each name talks about his character trait. It reveals his purpose. It reveals what he does. Last week I shared with you a few. And uh, first of all, here's the things we talked about last week. The Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead having the same characteristics of God, the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not a, he is not a, um, let me put it this way, he's not a substitute for God. A lot of people say, oh, the Holy Spirit's a substitute for God. No, he's not. He's God. He's not, you know, you have a, you know, in school you have a teacher, and then if the teacher's out, you have a substitute. And you know what the kids do when the substitute shows up? It's mayhem. All right? It's mayhem. Poor substitute teachers, I think they get paid. What a substitute teacher gets paid? Six, $75 a day, and they ought to get paid 500 having to deal with them yahoos. Aha! Substitute! Let's go wild! That's the way it, that's the way it works. And a lot, of Christians, a lot of Christians think, well, the, the Holy Spirit, he's just a substitute for God. No, he's God. He carries all the traits, all the attributes, all that God is, all that Jesus was, the Holy Spirit is today. In fact, the Holy Spirit is God on earth today. You've heard me say this over and over again. Some people say, oh, I only wished, I wished I lived when Jesus was on earth. Why? Why? He was at one place at one time. He was confined to a body. The Holy Spirit's not confined to a body. In fact, Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these. We should be living in a lot better days as far as the move of God than when Jesus lived during his day. The Holy Spirit is God on earth today. He is, carries all the attributes of God. He's eternal. He's eternal. Without beginning, without end. He's eternal. Without beginning. I I can kind of, I can kind of picture the without ending. I can kind of picture going that way and not having an ending, it's hard for me to picture without a beginning. I just, I don't even understand that. We all have a beginning time. But the Holy Spirit never began. 
He's always been. In fact, he's the one that created the very function of time. Okay? And then, then he's omnipresent. He's all present in all places always. I like to say it that way. He's all present in all places always. He's here. He's over there. He's across the sea. He's in West Murfreesboro. He's in Franklin. He's in Memphis. I think he's in Memphis. He's, he's in a lot of places all at the same time. He's omniscient. He's possessing infinite. He possesses infinite. He possesses infinite. Infinite. He possesses infinite. The total sum of everything, he possesses it. He's all awareness. Nothing gets by him. Nothing gets by him. He's aware of everything. He's understanding. He's insight. And then he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can do anything. I mean, remember that scripture, nothing is too hard for God. Why? Because he's all-powerful. And then we talked about the biblical names of the Holy Spirit. Number one, the one that is, we know him more than, is this the Spirit. The Spirit. This is the simplest and most used name of the Holy Spirit. The word Spirit literally means breath or wind. So the Holy Spirit is the outbreathing of God. Look at John chapter 3, verse 6 through 8. Turning your Bibles to John chapter 3. Verses 6 through 8. Let me read it from the New King James. It says, That which is born of the flesh, Jesus is talking uh, to Nicodemus here. And he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, notice what he says here, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Have you ever noticed that there's some people that you've been surprised that they got saved? Have you ever noticed? There's just some people you think, my God, you, they got saved? I went to school with them. They were heathen. They were heathen, heathen, double heathen. They got saved? I had, a, I had a man show up here at church not long ago, about a month ago. He walked up after service and he said, Eddie. And I looked at him and I, I recognized his face. I said, I'm sorry. You know, then you, then you start going through your data bank. Who is this? Because you don't want to look like a fool, you know, especially if it's your cousin or something like that <laughs> you don't you don't want to look crazy you know or one of amanda's uh, relatives that the last time i saw them they were a guest on the jerry springer show so you don't you don't you don't you don't want to look bad and i said i'm i'm sorry he said we were in elementary school together and i remember him in elementary school he was in trouble all the time I mean, he was in trouble all the time. I mean, he was doing whips and chains in elementary school. That's how bad he was. And, and now he's a minister. And I, I, said, I said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I saw you on Facebook, and I moved back in the area, and I just wanted to come hear you minister. And I'm, I'm a minister. I, I, and I, I wanted to say, you are a minister? <laughs> you know, he's one of those people that you just wonder... He'll never get saved. But let's, look what it says. It says, you, the, the, the Holy Spirit's like the wind. He'll move and minister in ways you'll never really figure out, and you can't tell him how to do it. I never will forget, we went to All Good, and about the first month I was there, I went to see a pastor. The church was just small, and I went to see a pastor in the neighboring city called Cookville, and their church was about 100, and ours was 30. And, and I went to, walked into his office and introduced. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. And I said to he, I introduced myself, and, and we just had some small talk. And I said, I just want to meet some of the ministers in the area. And I was 25, and, and uh, he, uh, he said, now, where would you say you are? I said, I'm in all good. And I never will forget, he goes, <laughs> all good. I said, yeah. He said, God can't move in all good. He said, that's the armpit of the county. That's what he said to me. And I wanted to say, well, I appreciate the, the encouragement, you know. <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like an encouragement. And, you know, 
20 years later, our church was averaging over 2,000 in attendance, and his was running 125. You just don't tell God what he can do and what he can't do. You know, if we're willing to get out there with him and believe him, if we can stretch, he'll go as far as we can stretch and as far as we believe. He, he is the wind. Look at 1 Corinthians. Uh, understand this. The Holy Spirit, like the wind, is invisible. You can't see the wind, but you can see its effects. Understand something very unusual about the wind. You can't dictate what you want the wind to do. The wind does as it wills. It'll do what it wants to do. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a... We know 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is what we refer to as what chapter? The love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the gifts or the manifestations of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, after the love chapter, talks about the conducting or the order of the gifts of the Spirit in the local church. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it identifies the gifts or the manifestations of the Spirit. And look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number uh, 7. But the manifestation or the gifts of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Now there's nine of these, and he's identifying them individually. Notice he says, one is given the gift of the word of wisdom, to another is given the gift of the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith, or the gift of faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Have you ever noticed that? That's the only one that's plural. Gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. There are certain people that God has gifted or anointed to when they lay hands upon people or pray for people, certain things happen. They get healed in certain areas. For example, Philip in Acts chapter 8. Philip goes down to Samaria and he preaches Christ to them. The Bible says, and many lame that were lame were healed. It doesn't say anything about the blind being healed. It doesn't say anything about the deaf being healed. It just said the lame were healed. So that lets us know that Philip undoubtedly was used of God in this area of helping people who were afflicted with infirmities in their extremities. John Smithwick, every time he's come here, people who have been deaf have been healed. And he'll tell you, I'm seeing deaf people healed right and left. And his faith just works easy for deaf people. Deaf people, they just get healed. Other ministers I've known, their blind eyes get healed. So the Bible says here that to some are given the gifts of healing. You won't find anyone that has all the gifts of healing except Jesus Christ. He had them all, but he had the Spirit without measure. We've got the Spirit with measure. We only have an earnest of the Spirit, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians. So understand that scripture says to another is given the gifts of of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. So these things are divided out. To another discerning of spirits. Notice it doesn't, not everybody gets them all. Nobody gets them all, okay? To another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things. Distributing, now notice this, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Notice the Holy Spirit is like the wind. He does it. He blows where He wants to. He blows where He wants to. He moves where He wants to. He gives people the gifts He wants them to have. We cannot control the wind, but if we learn the laws that govern the wind, we can reap wonderful benefits from the wind. The second name of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. This name of the Holy Spirit simply emphasizes the authority behind the name. The first name was the Spirit. This one says the Spirit of God. It emphasizes the authority. What do you mean the Spirit of God? Well, he's the omnipotent one. He is the omniscient one. He is the omnipresent one. He is the eternal one. He is God. It's the Spirit of God. The third one that we talked about last week was the Spirit of the Lord Jehovah that's mentioned. I'm not going to take the time to give you all the scriptures for these. We did these last week. This name of the Holy Spirit is essentially the same as the preceding name, the Spirit of the Lord, 
with the exception of the word Jehovah or with the word Lord. The name Jehovah implies covenant keeper. He is a covenant keeping God. He makes a promise and he keeps it. There's some things that I know he's going to do for me and my family because he's a covenant keeping God. He can't can't break covenant. He don't know how to do that. He can't do that. The fourth, and there's a bunch in between, but I wanted to jump to this one tonight. The fourth name is the spirit of judgment and burning. Look at Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4. Go back to the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. The book of Isaiah is a prophecy about Jerusalem. In fact, some people, some scholars call it the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And some scholars call it the fifth gospel uh, because it's so uh, relevant to New Testament times. But the book of Isaiah is a prophecy about Jerusalem and it, the nation of Israel and how God wants to restore that city and that nation to prosperity and holiness. But first there must be the cleansing of the city and the nation and the people because the people have become rebellious and turned their backs on God. And in verses 4, uh, chapter, Isaiah chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, we read a glimpse of the blessings God has prepared for the, the people of the land. Look at Isaiah chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 first. In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. Verse 3, And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion, or Israel, and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. Verse 4, here's what you need to see. When the Lord, they'll be called holy, they'll be beautiful, they'll be wonderful, Only when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Notice the Lord says there's coming a time in Jerusalem where it's going to be beautiful. The nation of Israel is going to be restored. It's going to be God's kingdom. It's going to be uh, God's throne again. The Bible talks about the new Jerusalem, all right? But it won't happen until there first comes a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. Now listen, God is love. And that fact cannot be overemphasized. You can't talk about the love of God too much. I heard a preacher the other day say, well, we, we talk too much about the love of God. Listen, you can't talk too much about the love of God. <laughs> it's, it's beyond comprehension. Everything God has done or will do is from a foundation of love. For years, the church, especially the Pentecostal church, the tribe that I came from, emphasized the judgment of God and would mention at times the love of God, but they really emphasized the judgment of God. You gonna go to hell I don't care how many times you get saved, if you don't come to this altar tonight and cry, you're going to burn in a sinner's hell. You might have got saved this morning, but you coming back up here tonight, or you're going to burn in hell. It seemed our motivation to get people to Christ was to instill in them a fear of hell more than a desire of heaven and God's goodness. So over the last 20 years now, that's what that was the... 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, just hell, 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 hell. In fact, you still see some signs posted on the interstate, repent or burn, repent or burn. Anybody ever, boy, that really makes you want to, that really makes you turn to Jesus, doesn't it? So we, we emphasized hell so much and put a fear in people so much that then the pendulum swung the other way. And so for the last 20 or 30 years, the pendulum has moved back the other way And all we emphasize now is the love and grace of God. When was the last time you heard anything about hell? When was the last time you thought about hell? When was the last time you sang a song about hell? Pastor Wayne, don't sing no songs on hell. 
It may be at Christmas, all hell, the power of Jesus' name, something like that. And there was a time where the angel cussed, Gabriel cussed, all hell, Mary, you know, uh, the, the Lord is with thee, you know. But other than that, you don't hear anything about hell. All we hear about is love and grace, love and grace, love and grace, love and grace. But listen, there can be no true love without justice. And there can be no pure holiness without repentance. The recognition of sin. And the disfavor of God against sin. Look at uh, Leviticus chapter 10. I want to show you something. Very unusual verse of scripture. You might not have ever read this one before. Leviticus chapter 10. Aaron had a couple of sons who were priests of God. And... uh, and the, the the tabernacle was being the tabernacle laws were being instituted for the nation of Israel, and proper worship was being institu- instituted, and people were not saved, people were not born again, so you had to go through all type of rituals to get yourself in a holy place so that you could worship a holy God. All right, and these two boys, it says in Leviticus chapter ten, verse one, then Nadab. And Abihu, um, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it. Put incense on it. They're in the temple now, getting ready to worship the Lord. And offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. That was not the way the Lord said, you worship me. Okay? That's not the way the Lord said, you worshiped me. Verse 2. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. They died before the Lord. Now, understand, the Bible talks about in Leviticus that in the Old Testament, that if you offered a meat offering or if you offered a sacrifice properly at a certain time, the fire of God would come down and consume the meat offering. And that was God saying, I receive this worship. But notice this. The same fire of grace that received the meat offering became the fire of wrath that repelled sin. In other words, the same Holy Spirit who is love, 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 come, 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 is all the same, also the same Holy Spirit who is holy, 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 just, 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 pure, 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 and he repels sin, you see. And we don't talk about that much. We don't like to go there. We don't like to go there. So... When we think about burning fire, we often think of the negative. But fire has many positive and beneficial qualities as well. Fire tests, fire refines, fire consumes, fire illuminates, fire warms, fire energizes. Fire is a good thing. You wouldn't have got here tonight if it had not been for fire. Fire took place in your engine of your vehicle. This winter, fire was working in your home. It might not have come through the sheetrock like a flame, but it was working to make your heater work. How many of you cooked on your stove tonight or your gas range? Anybody? Nobody does that anymore. Forgive me. How many, how many stopped and got something to eat tonight? All right. Somebody cooked some food. It came about by fire. Fire is a good thing. But look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. In the New Testament says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Look at verse 6. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead of you. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested 
as fire. Test and purify as go, though your faith is far more precious than mere go. So when your faith remains strained, strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Now, how many of you have ever been through a test? Let me ask you a question. Does the fire that tests us, does it come from God or does it come from Satan? Does the fire that tests us, does it come from God or does it come from Satan? I've had a lot of people come to me and say, pray, pastor, this thing's from Satan. And it was a test. It was a test. It was a trial of their faith. And it was a, and I could tell it wasn't Satan. It was the moving of the Holy Spirit. And they wanted me to pray to get rid of it. I don't want to pray for something the Holy Spirit's instigated. Now, I want to pray against something that the devil's instigated. But I don't want to pray against something that God has led me into. Because God wants me to learn some things and He wants to develop some character in my life. Well, every wilderness is of the devil. Is it? Is it? I don't think it is. Look with me at Luke chapter 3 verse 22. Turn over to Luke, the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 3 verse 22. Notice what it says. We read this one last week. This is the baptism of Jesus. And notice what it says. When Jesus was baptized, it says, And the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down upon him, and then a voice from heaven, which was God the Father, and notice what the voice said. Notice what the voice said. You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Now question, was God mad at Jesus? No. He said, I'm pleased with what you did. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then you go on and read and then it goes through the lineage all the way back to Adam. A bunch of verses and a bunch of names I can't pronounce and I always skip over that part. All right, But then you jump over to chapter 4, verse number 1. And it says this, Then Jesus, now this is right after he's baptized, in which God said, You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, where? Into the wilderness. Now let me ask you a question. Is every time you go through the wilderness, Satan inspired or is it God inspired? This time, God was doing it. If, 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 if Jesus said, no, I ain't doing that. That ain't of the devil. That's of the devil. I ain't doing that. I ain't. He was going to miss what God had for him. Everybody with me? Sometimes the wilderness experience is not the disapproval or punishment of God. I know this is, this is not the faith message. I'm, I'm a faith guy. Bless God, I'm casting out devils, cast out two today. I'm casting out devils. I'm rebuking lack, poverty, disease, sickness. I'll continue to do that. But the wilderness is a totally different thing. Sometimes the wilderness experience is not the disapproval or punishment of God. We read these two verses. It says God was well-pleasing Jesus was well-pleasing to the Father, but he was led into the Spirit. By the same Father, he was well-pleasing too. Now, there are times when our disobedience or wrong decisions cause us to walk out from under the umbrella of God's blessings. I've made some stupid mistakes. I've made some stupid decisions that were not God's will. Although they were not done intentionally, most of them done ignorantly, they were still wrong, and I got out from under the blessings of God. Now, he protected me, and he was merciful, and he eventually got me out of that mess, but I still wasn't operating in his best because I made some stupid decisions. So let's look at the true meaning of the wilderness. Let's find out what the wilderness is. How many have heard that term? How many of everybody's ever said, well, I'm going through a wilderness experience? All right. Well, well, let's find out what the wilderness is. Number one, the wilderness is not a negative time for those who obey God. 
It's not a negative time for those who obey God. It's not a negative time. Number two, the wilderness is not a time of punishment or disapproval. God doesn't send you in the wilderness to punish you. He doesn't do that. Number three, God didn't bring you to the wilderness to abandon you to Satan's devices and forget about you. That's important for you to understand. God didn't bring you to the wilderness to abandon you to Satan's devices and forget about you. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. Oh, don't leave me yet. Hang here with me. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Who did? God led you. Where did he lead you? In the wilderness. Why? To humble you and to test you. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And here's number four. The wilderness is not a place of defeat to those who obey God. Well, if that is what the wilderness is not, what is the wilderness? Everybody ready? The wilderness is not God's rejection, but his preparation. The wilderness is not a time for seeking signs and wonders, but a time to seek the heart of God, which produces character and strength in us who believe. We all, we all want to see the glory. We all want to see the power. And I want to see it too. And I want, I've seen it and I want to see more of it. And we're going to see more of it. But I'm going to tell you, there comes some times in our life, it's not a time to seek the signs and wonders. It's a time to seek the heart of God. The wilderness season of our life is not the time for signs and wonders. It's the time to seek the heart of God. John chapter, Job, look at Job chapter 23. This is the most amazing passage. Job chapter 3. I, I, I don't like to read Job. I don't read it for my devotionals. I never read it. How many of you know it's a job to read Job? Ha, <laughs> job to read Job. I don't like it. But there's three verses in it that make amazing sense. Look what it says. Job chapter 23 verse 8. Job saying, look, I go forward, but he's not there. Talking about God. I go forward and he's not there. And I go backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Now think about that. He says... I look to the left and he's not there. And I look to the right and he's not there. I go looking for him forward and I can't find him. I go looking for him backwards and I can't find him. But he's there the whole time. I just can't see him. I just can't see him. This is a classic description of the wilderness experience where Job is searching for God, but God seems elusive. Anybody ever had those days? And I know we don't go by sight, and I don't go, we don't go by feeling. That's one of the first things I learned under Kenneth E. Hagin. We don't go by sight, and we don't go by feeling. But have you ever had those days where you prayed, and it seemed like you shouldn't have prayed? I hear people say, it seems like the heavens are brass. Pastor, my prayers are not getting past the ceiling. Well, they are, but do you know what I'm talking about? It seems like sometimes you're just not hitting on the right cylinder. The wilderness is where God seems to be miles away, His promises even further. However, He's really close at hand. The wilderness is a time when you appear to be going in the opposite direction of your dreams and the opposite direction the promises God made to you. Listen to this. The wilderness is a season when God gives you daily bread, not the abundance of things. The wilderness is a time you receive what you need, not what you want. That's the wilderness. And we all have those moments. I'm a faith man. I'm a faith man. I believe it. I live it. 
You don't see me posting on Facebook anything, I'm sick or I'm going through this or pray for me. You don't see me. I don't need that stuff. Bless God, I'm a faith man. The devil's underneath my feet. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. You name the scripture, I can quote it if it's positive. I'm a faith man. But I want you to know sometimes you don't get what you want. For a season, you just get what you need. And during that time, God is testing your heart. Why do you love Him? Do you love Him for what He'll do for you? Or do you love Him because of who He is? We need to learn in America, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. I like it in the Amplified. It says, Not that I'm implying that I was in any personal want, Paul said, for I have learned how to be content. You know what content means? He says it. Satisfies to the point where I'm not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am. I'm just satisfied. Boy, I've missed it here. Anybody ever missed it beside here? I mean, I've had, I've had food in my belly. I've had clothes on my back. I've had a warm, nice, comfortable house to live in. I had a beautiful car to drive in. I had a beautiful blind wife. My children were healthy. There was health in my body. But I was upset because I didn't have something I wanted. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what we are? We're not content. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times, and also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing life, whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having abundance or being in need. I can do all things which has, He has called me to do through Him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill His purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. You know, when the children of Israel left Egypt, they did so with great possessions. The Bible says they spoiled, the King James says they spoiled the Egyptians. The Egyptians were so sick of them and wanted them out and was so tired of the plagues. The Bible says as the children of Israel left, people would bring their gold and silver and all their precious possessions and give them to the Egyptians as they was leaving the city and saying, get out of here. You say, why, was they, why were they doing that? Well, they were doing it to motivate them to get out so no more plagues would come to the land. But God was repaying them for 400 years of slavery and not being paid all those years. Okay? So they left rich. The children of Israel, listen to this, left rich. They left Egypt rich. Yet after a while, the stuff that they left with that was supposed to be so great, they started using it to build false idols. Golden calves. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 36. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of Egypt, so they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. They left with gold. They left with silver. They left with jewels. They left with pots and pans of the finest metals known to man. They left with nice clothes and Silk from other countries. I mean, they left blessed. But then they turned, that, turned around and used all that stuff to make a false idols. Listen, we err when we judge man's spirituality by what he possesses and overlook his character. We err when we judge someone's spirituality and overlook their character. We err. Listen, we err when we see all these movie stars and these great musicians, these great country music stars and these who've accepted Jesus and we don't have any idea about their character, but all of a sudden they're popular and, they're, and now we just bow down and worship them. They've accepted Jesus Christ. We err when we look at somebody, judge someone's spirituality by their possessions and by their talent instead of their character. We err. Be careful. Be very careful. 
And it's only many times in the wilderness experience that those people who have leaned upon their, their talent and their gifts and the blessings that they can really hone the character for God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all this way, these 40 years in the wilderness. The Lord led them to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Look at verse 3. So He humbled you. Now notice this next phrase. He humbled you. He allowed you hunger and fed you with manna. Now doesn't that seem like a contradiction? He allowed you to be hungry and then He fed you. Isn't that what he says? He allowed you to be hungry, then he fed you. Which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. In this unique statement, notice God allowed them to be hungry, but then he fed them with manna. Manna was the best food you could get. It was heavenly food. And every day they got a new shipment. It was angel food. My wife loves angel food cake. I like it if it has vanilla bean briars ice cream under it, on top of it, beside it, and chocolate syrup on top of that. But she'll just eat angel food cake by itself. They got manna every day, and they complained about it. And we fuss at them for complaining about it, don't we? Well, them people, I can't believe God fed them every day, manna. Well, let me ask you this. Would you like to eat the same meal 40 years in a row every day? How would you like to eat the same meal? Amanda and I find ourselves, let's go out and eat. Where do you want to go? Well, let's, let's go to Chop House. Well, we went last, last week. Yeah, I don't want that. Well, let's go to Longhorn. Oh, we went there too, but yeah, I don't want that. How would you like to eat the same meal every day for 40 years? And then you hear people talking about, well, the children of Israel, the children of Israel, they went 40 years and their clothes didn't wear out. How would you like to wear the same outfit, ladies, for 40 years? Some of you can't even get out of the house in the morning with the same outfit you started out with. And they, they wore the same clothes for 40 years. It didn't wear out. And we criticized them. Listen, the Lord removed anything that would have satisfied the desires and wants of their f- flesh, but still met their needs. And that's where the wilderness is. Where you get what you you don't get what you want, you get what you need. Numbers chapter eleven verse four says this. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yield to intense craving, so that the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this angel food before our eyes. Listen, I'll close with this. The sin wasn't in their request for meat, but what the meat represented. It revealed the dissatisfaction of their hearts with God and His method of leading. And today, if you're in one of those dry seasons where it seems like you can't find him, you're like Job, you look to the right and then nothing opens up. And you look to the left and nothing opens up. And you look backwards and you, you can't see a way out. And you, you look forward and there doesn't seem to be an open door. And, and you pray and get nothing. If you happen to be in one of those seasons, understand, chances are, You're not being punished by God. He's not mad at you. You're at a point in your life where this uncomfortable moment, and it's just a season, it's just a moment, you won't stay there. Even though they got in sin, they eventually got out of the wilderness. 
The wilderness is what you go through. Nobody builds their home there. And God's not going to make you stay there. But if you're in one of those wildernesses, God is working. He's honing. He's chipping away. He's doing some things. He's allowing you to see some areas of your heart that maybe you need to work on. And if you'll recognize that it's not punishment, it's not denial, it's not even delay. You're there on purpose for God to work in you and to conform you to his image so that you and I will become more like him. So that on the day of judgment, when the fire tested, all the drought and all the impurities have already been shed away and we stand before him as a pure bride because we've already got that stuff dealt with and he doesn't have to burn it off of us. You see, you're not alone. He's not mad at you. It's a dry time. Tomorrow, just say, Lord, what do you want me to learn in this? What do you want to do in me through this time? What do you want to show me? What do you want to teach me? How do you want me to change and adjust? Make me what you want me to be. I'll stay here as long as you want me to be because my purpose in life is not to be Mr. Success. My purpose in life is to be like Jesus. So just make me that. And I guarantee you, things will start opening up for you right and left. He knows how to get you out of the wilderness. (laughs) He can get you. He's got a, he'll make a way of escape for you so quick you won't even be able to realize it. Stand with me, would you? Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.